A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. This is the true story of Chris Coleman. A devout church-going father torn between his principles and his secret desires. He couldn't stop thinking about her after he started meeting with her. His dedicated wife, Sherry. She made it absolutely clear that there was no way she was giving him up or her family up. That she was going to dig her heels in and fight. And the scandalous affair that turned their world upside down. He's trying to please his girlfriend, and he's trying to please his wife at the same time. Destroying far more than just a marriage. You have a whole family that is basically no longer with us. Beware. Extreme passion can lead to shocking consequences. It's 2008. Happily married couple Sherry and Chris Coleman live in the quiet bedroom community of Columbia, Illinois. Chris is a devoted husband and father of two young boys, ages 8 and 10. Chris always had a youthful appearance, and he was a soft-spoken son of a preacher. His wife of 11 years, Sherry, is the apple of his eye. Sherry was a fun-loving, boisterous woman. She was always bubbly, and everyone wanted to be around her. To all who know them, they seem like the perfect couple. They were often called Barbie and Ken. Chris was very starch, proper, military-ish. And Sherry was Barbie. They were in love, and the two little boys were just adorable. They had it all right. And that family unit is built on a very strong spiritual foundation. Chris is very religious, and his family is unabashedly religious. His whole life is built around the evangelical church and of the non-denominational Christian message. 
Raised as a Catholic, Sherry quickly embraces her husband's faith. Their whole lives were very spiritual based. Sherry Coleman and Chris Coleman were active in the church. Actually, Chris Coleman's father was a minister in a nearby town. For the Colemans, religion is a way of life, and not just on Sundays. Chris Coleman is the head of security for Joyce Meyer Ministries. Joyce Meyer is one of the leading evangelicals in the movement today. She's considered one of the top 50 most influential uh, church people in this world. So as she was growing and becoming bigger and bigger, she needed some security. It was an elite position for him. He took very much pride in going along with this worldwide ministry and in the position that he was, he felt important. Chris sees this job as his daily mission, but little does he know that his devotion to his work, his family, and his rock-solid faith will quickly crumble in the face of tantalizing temptation. In October 2008, Chris is sent down to Tampa, Florida for a work conference. Since he'll be there for three weeks, his wife, Sherry, has arranged for him to meet up with an old school friend of hers who lives nearby. Her name is Tara. Tara was a, don't mean this derogatory, she was flashy. She was uh, good looking, very outgoing. She dressed provocatively. Sherry and Tara were best friends as teenagers, but since leaving school, their lives have gone in opposite directions. Sherry goes into the military, marries Chris, has children, and starts living a lifestyle in the suburbs of St. Louis. Tara's life is completely different than what Sherry's life is. Introducing Chris to a friendly face is only part of Sherry's motivation. She thinks her wild and wayward friend could benefit from the teachings of the church. Tara for Sherry was more of a mission field. She kept in contact with her and just really tried to help her change her life. A few days after arriving in Tampa, Chris and Tara meet for dinner. At first, the conversation revolves around Chris's family and faith. But after a while, the talk of religion dies down as a spark of connection lights up. They hit it off, but there's still that barrier between them. He's married to her friend, and that's a pretty big barrier. But Chris feels himself deeply drawn to Tara. Tara is a fun person, and I think that's something that men find attractive and that Chris found attractive. As the evening continues, Chris seems to have fallen under the spell of his wife's alluring friend. I think for the first time in Chris's life, he felt like he was living for himself. This is his alter ego that he never got to experience because his life was all about, this is what you can do, this is what you can't do. And so the real him was trapped. And the appeal of Tara is that she is not ruled. She doesn't follow rules. She's a free spirit. 
but by the time they say goodnight, it appears the evening's tempting undercurrents have come and gone as Chris and Tara go their separate ways. That is, until the very next day, when they arrange to meet again. Chris is crossing into dangerous territory. If you're an employee at Joyce Meyer Ministries and you have an extramarital affair and you get a divorce from that, it's basically something that is looked upon as an immorality. Joyce Meyer had said, if any of her employees do that, you will not be employed by Joyce Meyer Ministries any longer. But the devout family man can't help himself. He couldn't stop thinking about her after he started meeting with her. Just days after his arrival in Florida, Chris and Tara take their intense attraction to a new and much riskier level. November 5th is a day he says was a day that, quote, Tara changed my life. Those were days uh, when they started having sex. With Tara, Chris can live out his most secret fantasies. Tara afforded him an ability to break the cuffs of being the church-going family man. He could be someone different. Tara was a rebellious rule-breaker type. That was part of her charm. And when it comes to the powerful emotion of that lustful, love-sex feeling, it's almost like all bets are off. People go into a selfish mode because it's like this addictive drug that you can't get enough of. Over the next week, while he remains in Tampa, the illicit affair only gets hotter. He was head over heels for her. She was head over heels for him. Eventually, the fantasy has to end. But how will Tara handle her new lover going back to his wife? Meanwhile, back in Illinois, Sherry is taking care of Chris's home and children on her own. Chris was gone a lot. You know, that left Sherry to be at home by herself with the two kids and, and do basically the things that a single parent would do. As we know with young married couples, when one is gone and away a long time, it puts a lot of stress on the marriage. When Chris first returns from Tampa, Sherry doesn't seem to suspect a thing. But after a few days, it's obvious something in the Coleman house is very wrong. Chris just treated Sherry just kind of distant. He wasn't close to her. He was standoffish. Um, that's when things really started to get bad between them. Chris just didn't act like himself. Chris is spending less and less time with his family so he can be free to talk to and text with his new lover, Tara. Chris Coleman was frustrated that he was there with Sherry. There were some instances where he was on the computer talking or chatting with Tara, sitting across the table from Sherry. Chris was in a place uh, that he didn't want to be. By the middle of November, Chris is going to great lengths to keep his mistress happy. Tara becomes very focused on making sure Chris's family life, uh, he's weaned away from that, and he keeps focusing on her, which he does. 
Chris is telling Tara that he's sleeping downstairs in their basement and that they're no longer sleeping together. Then one day, Chris's attention is dramatically ripped away from his thrilling secret affair and back to his home life. November 14th, threatening emails start arriving, saying that uh, his family is in danger. Over the next 12 hours, seven messages land in his inbox. The threats were just being specific on, I know when you leave, I know when you're, you're home, I know you travel a lot. Your family is gonna suffer, you know, because of what you do for Joyce Meyer. The emails give the Coleman family the disturbing feeling they're being watched. Attractive family living in a safe place, and all of a sudden, overnight, they're being threatened. Who could be sending these terrifying messages and why? Did someone know about his recent sexual escapade? Or is there an even more sinister plot in motion that could shatter his love life and destroy his family for good? A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Have you ever heard the expression, perfect is the enemy of good? I think about that a lot, especially when it comes to my body and health, because perfect does not exist. It's a total trap. Noom isn't into this perfection thing either. Its unique approach is tailored to each person's psychology and biology. From coaching to recipes, Noom's app provides personalized information to help you on your journey, no one else's journey. I also think it's great that Noom doesn't restrict what you can eat, and it doesn't shame you for treating yourself. And treat yourself, you should. What's more, Noom's approach is grounded in science. They've even published more than 30 peer-reviewed scientific articles about how they work. To date, Noom has helped more than 5.2 million people lose weight by helping them build new habits for a healthier lifestyle. So why not give it a try? Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.
Chris Coleman is having a steamy affair with his wife's high school best friend in Florida. He knows that pursuing this scandalous relationship puts him at risk of losing everything. But in the grip of intense passion, he doesn't seem to care. If you look at people who are in that heightened state of love and lust, it's like a drug addict. You know, you want it, you want more of it. So for him, it, it almost wasn't like, oh, I'm risking everything. But a series of menacing emails directed at his family threatens to throw cold water on his smoking hot sex life. This person who wrote the emails, they were watching Chris Coleman. They would know when he would leave, when he would be gone, and that something would happen to his family. His wife, Sherry, understands that Chris's job comes with risks, but never before have she and their boys been in danger. She took it in stride. She just thought, well, there's a lot of crazy people out there and alleged to do a lot of crazy things, but they seemed safe. They were in a safe community, a safe place, and she handled it well. Security threats at Joyce Meyer Ministries are not unheard of. Joyce Meyer was a very successful, famous person who was very open about what she stood for. Chris sits down with his employers to talk through his plan of action. Keep in mind the threats are coming in to the security chief. So obviously he's the one who's gonna be handling the threats. Uh, they ask him what is needed. He says he's got control of it. Since the threats came in via email, he doesn't feel his family is in any immediate danger. And when no more come through over the next two weeks, Everyone breathes a sigh of relief. With attention on the home front waning, Chris's secret sex life ratchets up the heat. He and Tara make elaborate plans to spend as much time together as possible. There were several business trips that Chris went to where he either met up with Tara or kind of brought her to the function that he was there for. With each passionate encounter, their feelings deepen, inspiring big promises. Tara was being told that he was gonna leave Sherry. They had a wedding date picked out. So they obviously had planned things out and they were thinking long-term as far as Chris Coleman and Tara being together. He wanted to marry this woman. So the wedding, the talking about their future children was all a way for him to legitimize the relationship this is what he really wanted. As proof of his commitment and love, Chris gives Tara a special gift. Chris actually bought Tara a promise ring and gave to her, and uh, she wore that on a daily basis. Promise rings similar to almost as uh, high school friendship rings, but here are 30-year-old people doing that. That promise means the world to Tara. And she makes it crystal clear she expects Chris to put his words into action. She wants Sherry out of the picture. She wants a divorce. And there's a lot of pressure being put on Chris to do something about it. After a week away with Tara, 
Chris comes home with a devastating announcement for Sherry. It was right after Christmas when she verbally told me that he wanted a divorce, that she and the boys were keeping him from his destiny, that they were keeping from him from what God wanted him to do. But Chris never mentions his affair as the real reason behind his request. And after hearing him out, Sherry has an unexpectedly fierce response. She made it absolutely clear that there was no way she was giving him up or her family up, that she was going to dig her heels in and fight. He was kind of flummoxed by it. He couldn't understand why this woman wouldn't divorce him. He wanted out. For the next few days, tension in the Coleman household is at an all-time high. Chris fumes as Sherry refuses to budge. But on January 2nd, 2009, their standoff is interrupted by another terrifying threat. January of 2009, Chris had a letter that he purported that was left in his mailbox. It, it was specific, you know, it was a threat to him and his family. A death threat basically saying that, you know, if you keep carrying on this, this life that you're doing, that his family was gonna suffer for that. This hand-delivered note feels much more ominous than the emails Chris received in November. Sensing the lives of his family are at stake, this time, Chris goes straight to the cops. Chris brought it to us, indicated that, you know, there had been a prior email threat, um, and now that now this letter had been left in his mailbox, and uh, so he was more concerned for it. He asks for police protection for him and his family. We reiterated to the patrol officers the importance of providing extra patrol around that neighborhood because we, we now know that the threats have gone from coming anywhere in the world via email to somebody has to be relatively close to leave it in the mailbox. Someone urgently wants Sherry and the boys out of the picture. For the rest of January, a dark cloud hangs over the Coleman's house. With more time to reflect on her husband's request for a divorce, Sherry puts two and two together and comes to an inevitable conclusion. Sherry did suspect that Chris was cheating on her. One of the friends was actually told by Sherry that she knew who it was and she had mentioned terrible. Certainly finding out about an affair is a betrayal enough of, of trust. But imagine encouraging a relationship with somebody who becomes your husband's future mistress. It adds insult to injury. You know, this notion of not only did he have an affair, but I put this woman in his life. Days later, when Chris tells her of a trip he's planning to the Super Bowl in Florida with a friend, Sherry resists. She knows Florida is where Tara lives. By this point, Sherry knew that Chris was having an affair with Tara. Sherry did not want him to go there. Sherry wanted him to, to stay back. Sherry decides to take her fight to keep her husband public. When it comes to divorce, his company has very clear rules. You can get divorced as long as it's not your fault. And Chris was very mindful of this policy. 
she calls Chris's employers to tell them that Chris wants a divorce. Chris came very upset that Sherry contacted Joyce Meyer through that way. The next day, Chris's bosses mediate an attempt to prevent a breakup of the Coleman marriage. Chris was told, you know, you guys need to get some marriage counseling. You, you need some help. We're here to help you. Over the next few weeks, he seems to get the message and makes a big effort to work on his marriage. Chris Coleman went to some sessions and went through the motions of getting counseling, even though he didn't want to. The conflicted man of faith appears to have decided what's most important to him. To reward him, Sherry gives him a little space. Sherry was not happy about Chris going to the Super Bowl, but she relented and said, fine, you can go. Of course, she did not know that Chris would be meeting Tara there. With her husband away in Florida, Sherry gets a fun idea to put some sizzle back in their marriage. Sherry texted kind of a funny, sexy picture to Christopher. You know, I miss you. This is me from wife to husband. But her text doesn't get the reception she's hoping for or even the audience she intended. At the Super Bowl, Tara gets a hold of the phone. Tara texts back to her as though she were Christopher Coleman. What Tara writes back will complicate an already toxic situation and cause a dangerous relationship to take a fatal turn. Chris Coleman is engaged in an adulterous affair with a gorgeous brunette named Tara. His wife Sherry doesn't know He's down in Florida with his mistress for the Super Bowl. Pretending to be Chris, Tara responds to Sherry's romantic text with an earth-shattering pronouncement. Tara sends something back and says, I'm not in love with you. And that becomes a big deal for Sherry because Sherry starts telling her friends that you know, he's telling me he no longer loves me. Sherry is devastated, but still can't accept the idea of divorce. While his marriage goes into deep freeze, Chris and Tara's fiery affair continues to rage. In April 2009, he jets off to Hawaii for another work conference. And once again, he's not alone. Chris flew Tara out to Hawaii so she could be with him. After weeks apart, the secret lovers are ecstatic to be together again. They look out on the balcony, they take pictures, they're playful with one another, they are amorous with one another, and they have a real fiery time. The affair burns hotter than ever before. In Hawaii, they make a sex tape. It's evocative of their life together. But even in paradise, Chris can't completely escape reality. His passionate mistress wants more than just sex. He's trying to please his girlfriend and he's trying to please his wife at the same time. Tara was getting 
kind of tired of hanging out on the, the outside. Tara serves Chris with an ultimatum. She had told him, we can't be together. You're never going to leave Sherry. She wanted to get on with, with her life. When faced with the prospect of losing Tara forever, Chris makes his fateful decision. Christopher Coleman told Tara he was going to serve Sherry Coleman with the divorce papers. At the end of the wide trip, Chris flies back to Illinois on a mission. He arrives home, ready to face his wife, just in time for another set of death threats to arrive in the Coleman's mailbox. Those letters came relatively close to one another, uh, like the middle and the end of April. And those letters were very much directed at, at killing his family. The tone of these new letters is even more menacing than those Chris had previously received. Whoever is sending these threats seems determined to take Chris away from his family. Officials are on guard. This caused us to become extremely concerned. We started putting video cameras up around the neighborhood so that we could monitor that mailbox. I contacted Chris through cell phone, told him who I was, and said, hey, here's my number if you need something, call. Confronted by these new threats, Chris never serves his wife with divorce papers and seems to rededicate himself to his protective role as husband and father. Despite the danger looming around them, by the beginning of May, their marriage appears to be getting back on the right track. Sherry's telling her friends that things have improved and everything seemed to be looking like they were going to make it, which people didn't think was going to happen earlier. Sherry uh, invited our family uh, over for sliders, and it was a, a great night. It wasn't the tension that we had experienced, you know, on so many visits. But for the Colemans, this newfound happiness will be short-lived, soon to be replaced by shocking tragedy. On the early morning of May 5th, 2009, Chris Coleman calls his neighbor, Detective Justin Barlow. It's a phone call the investigator will never forget. Chris told me that he had left for the gym that morning, and he has tried calling Sherry several times, and nobody was answering the phone. He wanted to know if somebody from the police department can go over and check on him. Detective Barlow radios the station for backup, then runs across the street to the Coleman house. I rang the doorbell. I looked through the window. I didn't see anything. Everything was dark. There was no movement. A second officer soon arrives on the scene. Sergeant Don John, he immediately went down to the back of the house. He gets on the radio and tells us that there's a screen door that's laying on the ground. Looks like forced entry. Officers Barlow and Don John enter the house armed and ready. We clear that immediate basement area, and then we work our way up. There's a staircase that leads from the basement into the kitchen area. The first thing that I remember is just that, that smell of, of aerosol paint, like spray paint. I just remember smelling it before I seen anything. What they stumble on next looks like a scene from a horror movie. I look to my left, and I see just the spray painting everywhere. Um, 
saying, I saw you leave. Um, I'm watching you. We know something's not, not good, obviously. So then we go into the living room. There's red spray paint left all over the living room wall. And then there's spray paint leading up to uh, the hallway. But the blood red graffiti is far from the most disturbing site they will confront in the Coleman house. As they go up the stairs into the house, uh, there are three bedrooms and they make entry into each bedroom. They find the body of Sherry Coleman. They find the body of the two boys, each in their rooms, dead, uh, strangled in their sleep. The ominous threats have all come true in the grisliest of crimes. An entire family has been massacred in their own home with a killer still at large and closer than anyone expects. Early in the morning of May 5th, 2009, Chris Coleman calls police, urging them to check on his family after his wife fails to answer his repeated calls and texts. Inside the Coleman house, the responding officers survey the handiwork of a ruthless killer. They worked their way up to the top floor of the house, and that's where they located uh, Sherry's body on, on her bed. The horror isn't only in the master bedroom. The two young Coleman boys have met the same fate as their mother. Each officer went into a, a separate bedroom and attempted to, to find signs of life. Each one described their bodies as, as being very stiff and rigid, uh, cold to the touch. The condition of the victims gives police a good idea of when they were killed. In all three of their professional opinions, the bodies had been deceased for an extended period of time. As the officers examine the bodies more closely, they discover the probable cause of death. All three victims, Sherry and her two sons, were found in each of their beds, strangled with some sort of wire. Sherry also had a black eye, and she had two separate marks on her neck. Police immediately secure the house and put out an all-points bulletin for the area. There becomes a real panic that there might be some strange psycho killer on the loose, and people are very concerned. Just minutes after finding the bodies of Sherry and the boys, officers have to break the devastating news to Chris. I'm thinking in my head, too, how do I just tell this guy what I, what I just saw? The only thing that I could think of to say was, Chris, they didn't make it, you know? And he just said, what do you mean they didn't make it? It seems as if Chris can't make sense of what he's just heard. He appeared to be shocked because after all, this is a father and husband of this massacred family. As the crime scene investigation begins, officers tend to a stunned Chris. I said, anything that he needs, make sure that we get it for him. Let's just make sure he's taken care of. 
After a few minutes, police tell Chris they need to find out more about his wife and children. He voluntarily goes down to the station to help them. So Chris is brought into the interview room and we just basically start getting some idea of what happened that night. Our plan was basically just to get as much information as far as facts that happened that night and just go from there. Since he was the last person to see them alive, investigators start by asking Chris about the events of that morning. He has no idea who did it. He has very few answers for what was going on that day. He just said that he woke up and went to the gym and came back and they were all alive when he left. Cops then questioned him about his marriage. We got that information that they did have some marital problems, but they went to counseling and it worked out and everything was good now. But Chris's lies are about to come to light. Police want to notify Sherry's family about the murders. Curiously, Chris doesn't have their information, but he knows someone who might a childhood friend of Sherry's down in Florida. Her name is Tara. One of the major case investigators told Tara who he was and what we were investigating. She inquired as to whether or not she was going to need a lawyer. And so that caused some, some alarm for, for the investigators. The officer presses Tara a little harder and is shocked by what she says next. Tara told the St. Petersburg police that she was in an affair relationship, but that it was because Christopher Coleman told him that his marriage was dead, it was over, and there would be a divorce soon, and that they were meant for each other. Back in Illinois, police confront Chris with this new and damaging information. Was there a problem in your relationship? Was there anything currently um, that wasn't going so well in your relationship? Really. Chris Coleman never really told us details as far as what his relationship was with Tara. Chris downplays his affair with Tara and reminds investigators about the threatening emails and letters that he and his family have been receiving for months. Someone, probably those people who had been threatening him by emails and messages, knew that he had left, must have been watching his house, and came in as soon as he left. We were doing everything we could to identify the person who was responsible for doing that. After six hours, Chris Coleman finally leaves the station. That evening, police review the evidence they have so far and try to come up with any possible suspects. We looked at anybody and everybody who could have been involved with this. They know there has to be a connection between the mystery stalker and the massacre of the Coleman family. They have to find it. We had a lot of people focusing on that crime scene. We had a lot of specialists that were brought in to help us gather more evidence. We were going in with an open mind and letting the pieces of the puzzle fall where they may to point us in the right direction. But the connection they uncover will be darker and more twisted than any of them could have imagined. On May 5th, 2009, Chris Coleman returns to his home in the quiet town of Columbia, Illinois, to find that his wife and two boys have all been strangled to death. 
Police suspect that the same person who's been sending threats to the Coleman family for the past five months has now slaughtered the family. Forensics experts scrutinize Chris's emails and computer, searching for a clue. That original email threat that was sent to Chris, we were able to show that someone created an email account on the same date and time that that email was sent and then sent it to those people and then never used that email again. Using a combination of source codes and IP addresses, technicians methodically trace back the email account to find the source of the threats. Within a few days, they have a suspect. It's a name that will shock even the most jaded investigators. The last person who should be implicated in the deaths of Sherry and the boys. They were able to trace the email threats back to a computer that Chris owned, and that was his work computer. And in this, they trace back the threats to him. As they look over the physical letter threats the family received, police are even more convinced the devout father and husband is their cold-blooded killer. The message that was placed in the mailbox had certain spellings and affectations that were unique to Christopher Coleman, how he wrote and how he spoke. The date of the murders coincides with the day Chris told Tara he would serve his wife with divorce papers. You look at what Tara told us, that according to Chris, Sherry was supposed to have divorce papers served. And then he called her and said, oh, there was a typographical error. She'll get them tomorrow. And then tomorrow comes and both Sherry and her two boys are, are dead. All the evidence leads back to Chris Coleman. But the cops find this conclusion very difficult to accept. It was looking like he was our guy. But I think we all had problems believing that a father could murder his two boys while they were sleeping in bed. They go back and review Chris's original story about that morning's events. He claims the family was still sleeping soundly when he left for the gym at 5.30 a.m. But when a forensics expert analyzes the autopsy report, it's clear Chris is lying. He actually put the time of death to be between 11 p.m. and 3 a.m. And by Chris's own admission, he's still in the house between those hours. That is what gave us that initial probable cause to obtain the first-degree murder arrest warrants on Chris Coleman. On May 19, 2009, police make their move. So we got the arrest warrant signed and put him in handcuffs and, and took him to the county. Two years later, on April 25th, 2011, the trial against Chris Coleman begins in Waterloo, Illinois. Prosecutors can now paint a picture of what they believe really happened in the hours leading up to the murders. On May 4th, Chris took the day off, which was uncharacteristic. He's at home doing some work around the house. The boys come home, he plays catch with them on the front lawn. 
they have a very good evening by all appearances. Things appear to be very classic suburban scene. But on that same day, Chris is constantly texting Terrell down in Florida. Prosecutors surmise that after texting Tara throughout the evening, Chris crept upstairs and brutally strangled his wife, then went down the corridor and murdered his two sons as they slept, before finally spray-painting the house to back up his well-constructed story about a fictitious stalker. Between 11 and 3, there was a lot of time that he had to stage this crime scene. But no one on the prosecution side believes Chris's claim that someone else killed his family. You can't strangle three people to death, spray paint the entire house, and leave this quiet little subdivision without the camera or anybody else seeing you. Chris's mistress, Tara, cooperates with officials and testifies during the trial. She is never considered a suspect. Desperate to carry on his affair with Tara and unable to divorce Sherry for fear of losing his well-paid job, the prosecution says Chris made a calculated decision about how to get what he wanted. For most people, murder usually isn't an option, much less the murder of your family, but murder became what he viewed as his only option. Murder was the way he could get rid of his family start this new life with Tara. After over a week of listening to the chilling evidence, the jury finds Chris guilty of premeditated first-degree murder on all three counts. Chris? Chris, do you have any comments? Do you have anything to say to Sherry's family? Chris's passion drove him to end the life of a beautiful woman who was deeply loved. Sherry was friend of a lifetime. She was full of life, full of love, and she just wanted to give it wherever she went. I would have never guessed that any human being could do what Chris did. And a bright future for their two young boys was snuffed out by the man they trusted most in the world. You have a whole family that is basically no longer with us. It's just unfair. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.